Well, good morning. Welcome. Great to see y'all here this morning. We are uh, we're super excited about this upcoming weekend with Rob McCorkle. Uh, that will begin this Friday evening. And uh, I, I really want to encourage you again. This is like my last opportunity to do this. And so I really want to encourage you again that if you have any interest at all in uh, going deeper in your relationship with Christ, this is what this weekend is all about. And so I just, man, I just encourage you to take advantage of the weekend. And uh, just to, to clear up a little little confusion that some have had around this event. Um, first of all, just understand that every session is going to be different. Like it's not the same one with a bunch of different options. So you'll want to attend as many of these as you possibly can. And uh, the reason why we were having, I know we typically don't register for church services, but the reason why we were doing this was especially for Saturday morning and Friday night, Saturday night, to help us know kind of how many to plan for, especially when it comes to childcare and stuff like that. And so the question has been raised, like if I have somebody that I think might come with me and I'm not sure if they're going to come and I didn't get them registered, is it okay if they come? Absolutely. We're not going to turn anybody away. And so if you didn't get registered, uh, do it. It would help us. But, but if you can't get registered, come anywhere way and bring people with you. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if I, I said this before, but as your pastor, if I had the ability to twist arms, and so this, this is kind of a verbal arm twisting here, but if I had the ability to physically twist arms and to force you to do anything, I would do my best to do that with this because I just really believe that God wants to use it and he's going to do some special things this weekend. And I just don't want anybody to miss out. And so that's my best spiel. Uh, so hopefully Hopefully we'll see you on Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday night, and then Rob will be with us again Sunday of next week, and you're not going to want to miss that. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them up to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Uh, and we're just going to jump into this word. Uh, I'm, I'm going to begin reading with verse 6, Joshua 14, 6. It says, now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved around in, about in the wilderness. So, so here I am today, 85 years old, and I am just as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day 
You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. And so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. We're going to uh, wrap up this series that we've been in uh, over the past several weeks that we're calling Stepping Into the Promise. And uh, we began a few weeks ago by talking about identity. And I said that what you believe about who you are is a driving force not only in how you live your life, but ultimately in where you wind up in life. Identity is very, very, very important. It, it, it all begins with understanding who you are. Then, then we talked in week two about Moses and his big old butt. How that uh, Moses was like, you know, God, it is awesome that uh, you have chosen me, that you've invited me to be a part of what you're doing, and I'd love to do it, but. And we talked about how just like Moses, all of us have to get past our own uh, buts that, that exist in our lives, which keep us from stepping into all that God has, has destined for us. And then last week, we, we dealt with the topic of, of suffering. How, how to suffer well. Do we suffer in such a way that it causes the people around us who see us to take notice? Do we suffer in such a way that it would cause an Egyptian to convert? Of course, if you missed any of those, we just encourage you to go back and you can watch those online. But this morning, as we wrap things up, I, I just want to talk a little bit about what do we do in the time in between when we have received the promise of God and when we actually step into that promise. What, what do we do in the in-between time? In other words, how can we wait well? I don't know about you, I don't like to wait. But sometimes the reality is, is that there are periods of waiting between when God gives us a promise and when we see the promise realized and we need to learn how to wait well. And this morning I chose this story of Caleb because I believe that Caleb understood how to do this right. God had a promise for him, and I believe that just like Caleb, God has a promise for every one of us. And, and, and like Caleb, uh, you know, for most of us, when we uh, begin our journey of faith, we begin with incredible zeal. The, the, the thing that keeps coming up in this passage over and over again is that Caleb was wholehearted, which means he didn't hold anything back. Uh, he, he's like, you know what, I've given everything to you, God, and, and I, with all that I have, I am going to serve you, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to follow you. And because of that, the Bible says that Caleb was given this incredible opportunity to actually step in and possess the land, the promise that had been given to Abraham generations and generations before him. And what I love about this is that here he is, 
He's 85 years old. I'm not going to ask anybody here if you're 85 years old, but Caleb is 85 years old, and he's just as excited. He, he, he's, as full, he's as full of faith at 85 years old as he was when he was 40. He's ready to go, man. He's like, you know, where are the giants? I'm, looking, I'm ready for the giants. I'm 85. I'm looking for giants to slay. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to be in this thing for the long haul. I, I, I don't want to run out of steam and run out of gas. I want to be in this thing for the long haul. But the reality is that for, for many of us, like Caleb... We, we, when we start out our relationship with Jesus, we start out wholeheartedly. I mean, man, we're all in. We're like, God, you can do in me whatever it is that you want to do. I mean, I mean, send me, mold me, make me. My life is yours. You just do whatever you want to do with me. And we get this vision in our hearts. We're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise a godly family, and we're going to love Jesus, and we're going to be in church every single weekend, and, and I'm going to teach my kids the Bible inside and out, and we're going to pray every morning, and we're going to sing worship songs at night, and we're going to be in church every time the doors open up, and we're going to discover our spiritual gifts, and we're going to serve, and we're all excited, and then life happens. Sports happen. School happens. Vacations happen. And, and, and we get out of the flow, and all of a sudden, we, we find ourselves on our way to church once a month, and the kids are in the back seat fighting with each other, and we're like, you know, so help me God, if you don't keep your hands off your brother, I'm going to pull this car over, and you know, how in the world do you have breakfast all over your face when we didn't even have breakfast this morning? And, 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 and I'm telling you right now, when we get inside, you better act like a Christian, and we, we walk through the parking lot and through the front doors, and we're like, well, praise the Lord. How y'all doing today? I'm doing great. God is good. Jesus is on the throne. I'm just too blessed to be stressed. Life is good. <laughs> you, you single ladies, you know, you, you start out, and you have this vision, this dream. I'm, I'm going to hold on for the man that God has for me. He, God has a prince charming for me, and, and he's going to be athletic, and he's going to be handsome, and, and he's going to love Jesus with all of his heart, and he's going to be sensitive, and he's going to be a great kisser, and, and uh, you know, he's going to be, he, he, he's going to love Jesus, and, and he's going to be a wonderful provider, and he's going to love kids, and he's going to change diapers, and he's going to teach Sunday school and coach Little League, and and then, and then a couple of years pass, and you're like, I'll just take a man, you know. <laughs> I mean, breathing is good. Job is optional, but just a man. Or, or, or God gives you a vision for a business, man. We're, we're going to start this company for Jesus, and we're going to give 50% of all of our profit to feed the, the homeless and take care of orphans and clothe the naked, and, and we're going to help people, and we're going to make a difference in the world, and we're going to provide a great environment for people to work at. And, and again, a couple years pass, and it's like, man, I probably just need to get a job, you know. Just something that pays the bills regularly. And see, see, unfortunately, what happens sometimes for some people is that in that season, in between the promise and the realization of the promise, if we're not careful, we can actually lose the vision 
that God has for our lives. And so this morning, if you're here and you find yourself in a season of waiting of any kind, I just not only want to build your faith this morning, but I want to give you a few principles that I think will help you to wait well. Like Caleb. Caleb was a man who waited well. I want to go back to verse 6 where we started. And it says this. It says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. Now I want to give you a little context so you understand what's taking place here. Caleb and Joshua were two of 12 spies who were sent by Moses to go into the land that God had promised to the children of Israel to explore, to take inventory, to check things out, and then to come back and bring a report back to Moses and the children of Israel. If you go back to Numbers chapter 13 and uh, you study the story, Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they're like, man, let's get it. God is with us. We can do this with God's help. Let's just go, let's go take the land. The 10 other spies have a totally different perspective. They're like, nope. The people, I mean, they're too big. They're too strong. They're too many. There's no way we can do this. And, and what we find out later in the story is, is that the 10 who were negative they all wind up dying of a plague and none of them get to go into the promised land. And then because the people listen to the negative report of the 10, none of them get to step into the promised land either. They all end up dying out in the wilderness. And so Joshua and Caleb are the only two who have survived and the mantle of leadership has been passed from Moses now to Joshua and now they're on the brink of fully being able to realize this promise that they have been waiting for for all of these years by finally stepping in to the promised land. Caleb says this in verse 7. He says, I was, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. So Caleb had been given this opportunity to go into the land and to see with his own eyes this promise that God had given to his people and, and for Caleb, for himself. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. The first principle in waiting well is this. You have to begin by seeing with eyes of faith. You've you, you got to be able to develop the ability to see with eyes of faith. If you ever want to step into whatever the promise is that God has for you, it always begins by developing a supernatural ability to see things, not just with our physical eyes, but through the eyes of the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Later, he says that we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, in order to truly see where God is leading you, you have to begin by asking God through the power of the Holy Spirit. This, we, we talked a few weeks ago in depth about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. This is one of the things that he will do for us is he will give us spiritual eyes. 
You see, so often the way God moves us is first, it will begin with him giving us a vision or, or a picture of what, what life could be like or what life should be like. And one of the ways that we know that the vision or the picture that we're receiving, one of the ways we know that it's from God is if it is way bigger than our own abilities, in other words, if, if, if whatever you know, vision you think you have, if you can accomplish it on your own, if you don't need God, then it's probably not from God. I mean, what God calls us into are things that he wants to be a part of. His, his invitation is always for us to partner with him in whatever it is that he wants to do in the world. And, and so uh, if, if you don't need God, it's probably not from God. One of the pictures that God gave to me early on for this church is that he gave me the vision, the picture, that, that this would be a place where people who most of society turned their back upon would find love and acceptance and hope and healing. I have this picture of a community of vulner, vulnerability where individuals who are struggling with all kinds of hurts and habits and, and hang-ups can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, come and experience true freedom. I have this picture of a church who, who refuses just simply to be another religious organization, but rather strives to be a living organism filled with life, not just on Sunday, but 24-7. Wherever we go, we are purveyors of grace and hope and mercy and healing. I have a vision of a church who loves more than anything else to, to, to just experience and bask in the presence of Jesus. I have a, a picture of a church where fervent prayer and authentic worship are just the norm. It's just what we do. It's who we are. I have a picture of a church where every member embraces the call to be ministers of reconciliation. The, uh, the, the, the church is full of people who have discovered their God-given gifts and passions and are leveraging them to overpopulate heaven. I have a picture of a number of transitional housing units where, where we can provide support for men and women who are transitioning out of prison or are struggling with addiction or just need somebody to come alongside of them and support them in order to move forward in life. There are, there are several other things, but the picture that God has for us, I just know it is way bigger than where my ability to lead could ever take us. Caleb has a very clear picture of what God was calling him to do and where God was calling him. The, the problem was that not everybody saw what Caleb saw. In Numbers chapter 13, the other 10 come back, and, and this is what they tell Moses. They say, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, uh-oh, but the, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large, and we saw descendants of Anak there, and the, the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we, we should go up 
and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They, they are stronger than we are, and they uh, spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devoured those living in it. And the people we saw there are of great size. One translation said, and the people we saw there were like giants. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Caleb had the ability to see what none of the others could see. Caleb saw the promise when all the rest of them could see were the problems. My, my, my question for you this morning is, what do you see? What, what, what is it that, that you see? Do you see the promise or is all you see is the problems? Do you have spiritual eyes to see what God has called you to do in this next season? Or are you simply focused on the giants that might lie in the way? The reason why Caleb was able to enter into the promised land was because he had actually developed the ability to see it before he actually saw it. He could see what he couldn't see. Listen, in order to step into the promises of God, you've got to first be able to see through eyes of faith. You have to have spiritual eyes. Man, I'm telling you, this is so important. You've got to have spiritual eyes to see that marriage restored. You've got to have spiritual eyes to see your children serving God. You've got to have spiritual eyes to see your finances blessed. You've got to have spiritual eyes to see that ministry birth. You have to see through eyes of faith to get a clear picture of what God wants to do. Because that is what you will hold on to during the times of waiting. That that will be what you hold on to when you start to see giants that in your, are in your path. You, you've got to have something to hold on to in the waiting seasons of life. Now, Abraham is a great example about somebody. In fact, Abraham is considered to be like the model of faith. He's, consider, he's called the, the father of faith. But what I love about Abraham is that he had his own struggles just like we do. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to make you into a great nation. And so Abraham, he sets out on this journey. He leaves his family, uh, his father. He leaves, he leaves his country. He leaves all this behind, not even knowing where God is leading him. All he has is this promise that God had given to him. And he's full of faith that God is going to do what God said he would do. And so Abraham sets out on this journey. Three chapters later, in Genesis chapter 15, about 10 years have passed, and God comes back to Abraham, and he says to Abraham, Abraham, don't be afraid. Now, I want you to know that this is a phrase that is repeated throughout Scripture over and over and over again. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why are we commanded to do that all the time? Because God knows that our tendency is when things don't work out, the thing, the way we're gonna, we think they're going to work out, we have a tendency to be afraid. 
And so God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, don't be afraid because I'm going to protect you and I'm going to give you this great reward. And I want you to notice that Abraham responds. He, he says, like, you know, that's, that's wonderful, Lord. But what good is this blessing if I don't even have a son? Isn't it crazy how we tend to reduce God's vision down to its lowest common denominator? I mean, God is like, Abraham, I want to make you the father of many nations. And yet all Abraham can focus on is the fact, well, I don't even have a son. You see, our, our problem is, is that we tend to think in terms of addition when God is thinking multiplication. Y'all with me this morning? I'm preaching like 87% better than you're responding. <laughs> Just so you know. God is, God is thinking multiplication. We tend to think addition. And, and, and we need to understand that God sees things through a very different lens than we have the ability to see things through. And oftentimes, the reason that we don't see God's blessing coming to pass is because in our finite minds, we have limited an infinite God. Abram's frustrated because he can't see what God sees. God says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And instead of thanking God for what is guaranteed to come, Abraham is complaining, yeah, but I don't even have a son. And, and so he deduces that obviously the only way for me to receive the blessing that God has for me is I got to take things in my own hands and I'm just going to have to settle. I'm going to have to pass all this blessing that God is saying he's going to give to me onto a servant in my house because I don't have a son. This is so important. You see, oftentimes the reason we doubt God is because God doesn't always live up to our expectations. Come on. I mean, here's what we do. We get a word from God. And immediately we begin to fill in the blanks. Okay, I've got this word. This is what God's going to do. And now I'm going to, this is how he's going to do it. And then when God doesn't follow our plan, we get disappointed with him. And we wonder, where is God? God, you're not doing what I thought you were going to do. Listen, some of you might want to write this down. If God met all of your expectations then he'd never have the opportunity to exceed them. That was good. <laughs> if God met all of your expectations, he would never have the opportunity to exceed your expectations. We need to remember that God is the God of what? Exceedingly, abundantly, more. Yeah. And so listen, our job is not to figure out all of the hows. Our job is simply to trust that God will do what he said he'd do. I mean, if God said it, we need to believe it, and we need to thank him for it before we ever experience it. And there comes a point in time where 
You know, when God gives us a promise, and God's really been working on my heart with this, is that I, I believe one of the components of prayer that we often miss is the component of declaration. I, I think way too often we come back and we keep asking God, asking God, asking God for something, and God is saying, I, I already said I would do it. I mean, when God gives us a promise, and his promises are written in the word, then we can declare what God has promised as if it's already happened. We can thank him in advance for what he hasn't done yet or what we haven't seen realized yet. And so we need to operate that more often because God has way more in store for us than our little finite minds can comprehend. And so I want you to watch what God does here. In Genesis chapter 15, five, it says, then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky, count the stars if you can, that's how many descendants you're gonna have. The, the Bible tells us that all of us that are here today, we are the seed of Abraham. And so here Abraham is, he's focused on one son, and God is focused on all of you. <laughs> Isn't that something? God's vision is so much bigger. And so in order to help Abraham see, what God does is he winds up taking Abraham by the hand, and he has to lead him out into a new place. He's like, Abraham, you got to get outside of your tent. You, you, you gotta, you gotta remove this ceiling that you've allowed to, to prevent you from seeing all that I have for you. And I just wanna remove this ceiling from above you so that you can see more clearly what I have for your life. Can, can I just tell you that, that honestly, I, I believe that one of my jobs as your pastor is to try and lead you outside of whatever tent you might find yourself in today. The, the, the tent of discouragement, the tent of wrong relationships, the, the tent of, oh, it's too late for me in life, you know, my time has passed. The, the, the tent of other people's approval and expectations. Whatever your tent is that causes you to say, I don't see how what God has promised can come to pass when I don't even have fill in the blank. I, I just want to remind you this morning that God thinks way bigger than you and I can think. God sees life bigger than, than you and I can see and better than you and I can see. His plans are better than anything that we can imagine. But here's the deal. In order to fully step into whatever it is that God has for you, you gotta get a fresh perspective. You, you gotta get a clear vision of what God wants to do in you and through you because I'm telling you, it is much better bigger and better than anything that you could ever imagine. God's got a big vision for your life. God's got big plans for you, bigger than you could possibly imagine. And like Caleb, through the eyes of faith, you gotta be able to see it before you see it. Back to our text, Joshua chapter 14. Caleb says, I was, I was 40 years old. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. The, the second principle of waiting well is once you've seen it, you got to begin to speak it. Caleb says, I brought back a report. I, I, I spoke 
what it was that God had showed me. I brought back this message about what God, with his help, was going to do in us and through us. We've talked about this several times before, but I want to remind you this morning, don't ever underestimate the power of your words. Don't ever underestimate the power of your words. There, there is incredible power that has been given to us in what we choose to speak. In Proverbs chapter 18, it says that the tongue actually holds the power of life and death. We, we got to understand, we have been given the authority and the power to speak life over our circumstances, life over our future, life over our marriages, life over our families, life over our finances. But, but too many times we inadvertently speak death. C Caleb says, I didn't, I didn't speak about the things that I saw. I didn't, I didn't speak about the fortified cities. I didn't speak about the giants. I just spoke what God had put in my heart. I, I just spoke what God said. If God promised it, that was all that matters. In, in verse 30, he says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. He's speaking life over the nation of Israel, life over his future. He's like, I'm convinced that God is just able, that he'll do what he said he would do. But, but that's not what the people did, because un unfortunately, there were 10 others who, who brought back this negative report. And what I want you to notice is this. In fact, let me just ask you this. Anybody know any of the names of the 10 spies who brought back the negative report? If you raise your hand, you are a liar. <laughs> because their names aren't given. They're, they're just called the 10. No, nobody knows their names. They're completely forgotten. And here's why I want to bring this up. Because negative people, the, the ones who always come to you with all the reasons why something isn't going to work, negative people will always be forgotten because negative people will never do anything great. Joshua and Caleb are remembered because they were men of faith. Now I want you to watch what happens here. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26, Moses is recounting to the nation of Israel the history of what had happened, and he says, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. You complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. That is why he has brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people in the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns are large with walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. This is so amazing to me because these, these are the same people who had witnessed firsthand God's incredible power on display. I mean, these are the same people who witnessed the plagues in Egypt. 
These are the same ones who watched as God parted the waters of the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. These are the same people who tasted the manna that had fallen from heaven and had drank water from a rock that God just brought forth from a rock. And so it just amazes me, but it, but it also makes me wonder how in the world did they ever get to this place? Just a few weeks later where it says that they were in rebellion against God. This is what Moses says. He says, you rebelled against the Lord because you refused to go in and claim the promise like God told you. You refused to take that step. You, you re refused to sacrifice financially. You refuse to share your faith. You refuse to serve. You refuse to be a part of what God was trying to do in your life. How? How does that happen? How do we get to that place? How do we get from, from being all about God, I will go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll serve you in any way to, nope. I'm not gonna do that. I think the answer is found right here in this verse. It, it began because, first of all, they made the decision to listen to the wrong voices. I mean, they, they received two reports. Joshua and Caleb are like, man, we can do this. God is with us. God is going to lead us just like he's been leading us to this point. God is going to come through like he's always come through. And yeah, they may be big and they may be powerful, but come on, if God is with us, who can be against us? The other 10 were like, yeah, I, I, I know that that's what we thought we heard God say, that he would give this to us. And I know God has done some great things for us in the past, but come on. You guys have not seen how big and powerful these guys are. They, they, they had a choice. And instead of listening to Joshua and Caleb, they, they chose to listen to the voice of the haters and the complainers. And in verse 28, it says that they tell us that these people are, are way more powerful than us. And they, they say that their armies are too, and their walls are too high, and their people are too strong. But I think, I think what's most toxic is, if you look at verse 27, it says, once they got the negative report in their heads, it says they then went and complained in their own tents and said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he's brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. And Moses says, listen, because you let the wrong people speak into your life, and then you took that negativity home and you talked about it around the dinner table, and, and then the result is that it has led you to a place of all-out rebellion against God. L listen, church. Let, let this be a lesson to us. But whatever you choose to talk about privately will most certainly impact your faith publicly. And we need to be aware of the fact that, you know, if we allow negative complainers and haters in our ear, li listen, listen, I'm convinced 
that there are two different kinds of people in this world. There, there are those who do, and then there are those who complain about the people who do. The, the, the complainers never do anything. The, the complainers, for whatever reason, feel like it's their calling just to point out all the ways that the doers are doing it wrong. But, but if you allow the complainers who just want to gossip to one another about how, you know, that'll never work out and that project is probably not from the Lord and that thing's never going to fly and I don't know how they think they're going to pay for that and that, that ministry that you think we're supposed to do, it's never going to work. And, and, and then we take that negativity home and we sit around the dinner table and we talk about it and then we, we wonder, you know, why we're not entering into the promised land. It impacts our perspective. It messes with our attitude. And, and ultimately, it takes us to a place of rebellion. We've got to be careful. And parents, listen. Understand that you cannot talk to your kids about how all the pastors are dumb and lazy. And how the music is always too loud. And I don't know why the board made that decision. And how that teacher doesn't have good curriculum. And they were an idiot when you were a student. And they're still an idiot now. And that coach, if he really knew what he was doing, he would put you in the game. And obviously he doesn't know what you're doing because you're not in the game. You're sitting on the bench. Listen, if you, if you talk like that and allow your children to hear that, eventually the result is going to be your children are going to hate everybody in authority. They're, they're not going to have any respect for any leadership that's over them, and they'll never submit, and they'll never be successful, and God's hand will never be on their life. Why? Because you put them in a place where that's impossible. We cannot tell ourselves the lie that what we talk about and what happens in private, what happens in the home will not impact our public faith. Amen, Doug. That was a good point right there. These people, they lost the promise of God simply because they listened to the wrong people. And then they went home and they spoke words of death rather than words of life over their own future. Man, I'm telling you, faith won't allow that. We're to be people of faith. Come on, aren't we? Anybody believe that? We're to be people of faith, and faith won't allow that. Faith says, man, man faith is not going to say, this marriage is a wreck and it's doomed for disaster. Faith says, man, I see this marriage working in Jesus' name. Yeah, it may be difficult. It may not be what I want right now, but praise God. God has given me promises, and if I'm faithful, I'm going to hold on to that, and I see it working in Jesus' name. And so we're not going to talk about divorce. Faith says, I see my children coming home, and I'm not going to talk about all the things that they're not right now. I'm going to talk about what they are. They are children of God. They have a future. I see them as world changers and history makers. Faith says, I'm not going to talk about the lack of what I don't have. I'm going to talk about all the provision that God does have for me because I serve a God who owns a, the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wants to, he can sell one of them to help me out a little bit. And so I'm going to talk about how blessed I am because I have him, the one who has promised to provide everything that I need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. See, see you got you to gotta find 
a scripture to stand on, a promise to hold on to. You got to speak words of faith over your life if you ever want to step into the promised land. Joshua 14.10, as we close, Brian, you can come help me. Caleb says, now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved around in, about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, never too old. Here I am, 85 years old, and I am just as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. And I love this. He says, now, give me that hill country. I mean, he doesn't say, hey, give me the tough stuff. Don't give me the flat plain where it's easy, man. I want to climb mountains. Give me the hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there. And their cities were large and fortified. Now here's a good but. But God is helping me. And I will drive them out just like he said. Woo. The last principle for waiting well like Caleb in the waiting, you, you got to be alert. You got to be watching. You got to be able to see through eyes of faith. You got to be ready to, to seize hold of the, the promise when God says now. You, you got you to gotta say it. You got to speak it. You got to believe it. You got to speak words of life. But if you really want to step into the promise... There comes a point in time where you gotta act. You gotta take a step. You gotta grab hold of the promise that God has for your life. And so for Caleb, I mean, th this was not an overnight process. This was a long process. He said, man, it's been 45 years. For, for Abraham, it was a long process. And I'm here to tell you this morning that for you and me, if your dream is big at all, if the vision that God has given to you is, is big at all, I'm telling you, it'll be a lifelong process. It's not just something that happens overnight. Remember, Caleb, he had to hold on to this dream that God had planted into his heart. He, he had to wait, he had to believe, he had to trust for 45 years. He had to watch an entire generation die because they didn't see what he saw. They, they didn't speak what he spoke. They, they couldn't grab hold of what Caleb was about to grow, grab hold of. And so Caleb had to wait. But in his waiting, he did not waver. Because while his body was in the wilderness, his heart was already in the promised land. He was focused on where God had called him to be what God had called him to do. 
And yeah, it wasn't easy. I mean, at 85 years old, can you imagine that? 85 years old, he had to go and fight giants. He had to take down fortified cities. He had to climb mountains and super high walls. But, but he was like, man, God is for me. Then who can be against me? I mean, if, if God is for me, then I'm ready for this. If, if God is for me, then I'm ready to go into battle because all my life, I've been more than waiting. I've actually been preparing for this moment. God has been preparing me to give me this victory. And it says that then Joshua blessed Caleb son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his, as his inheritance. And so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Why? Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. I want you to know this morning that I believe with all of my heart that the promises that God has for us as a church, the promises that God has for you individually are within your grasp. You can have them if like Caleb, you'll wait well. If you'll see it, you'll speak it. And when the Lord says go, you go and grab it. Amen. Stand with me as we close this morning. Yeah.